All right. So remember during the pandemic when I was making videos and some people would start to share those videos and you could you could share the uh, the videos of the sermon out beyond us. You can still do that. I record. That's what I mess with up here before I start. I record all my sermons and I put them on SoundCloud and you can go to SoundCloud and search. There's all kinds of music and there's hip hop and there's DJs. SoundCloud.com. Go to SoundCloud.com and you can search for Sermon on First Samuel and, um, and I'll come up there and you can... I just, this last week, I, fit, I, got, I got all the sermons through 1 Samuel in order on there. So, if, um, if you're ever sitting there in the pew and you think, by golly, my sister-in-law needs to hear this. <laughs> uh, you can have a link to it. It takes me a couple days to put it on there. It doesn't happen a lot, but just to say, that's on there. And you can share it. You guys, I'm excited. Can you tell I'm excited? Has it already come across that I'm excited? I'm excited that we're in the book of Acts. We just spent a gazillion months learning how God wanted to build a kingdom. Way back in Deuteronomy, he said, when you have a king, here's how a king should act. So it's not that God didn't want there to be a king. And it's not that God didn't want there to be a kingdom. But when all the people cried and whined to Samuel and said, Give us a king, give us a king, give us a king. God said, I am your king, you guys. Why do you keep saying this? This this breaks my heart. But I'll give you a king. And so he gave him Saul, and we saw how all that played out. They got David. David was the best king ever. Like, wow, this guy... Goodness, all kinds of mess ups. He is not the best man ever. He might be the best king they ever had. He's not the best man that they ever had. And so it's appropriate that we're leaping into Acts because what Jesus did was he came and he was the king. And he showed himself to be the king, but he was very careful and he never said, I am the king. And he never said that because when he says, I'm the king, he has something totally different in mind than all of us and all the people and the people then all had in mind about what a king was. So there's a part where Jesus is healing all these people and he's doing all this great teaching and all the people gather around and they try to apprehend him to make him king. Like against his will... They're going to capture him. Just think, think about how silly that is for a minute. We're going to capture Jesus and make him king. Yeah, that'll be great. And at that moment, by some miraculous power, he slipped through the crowd and left. That's, that's all it says. That's all how it explains it. So he was going to be king. He was king. He didn't have to have anybody make him king. To be king, he knew he was a king. And so he was going to go about being a king his own way, which was the way a king was supposed to be 
in the eyes of God. So the other cool thing we have from David is we have a whole bunch of psalms about that David wrote either before he came king and he was thinking about being a king or after he was the king and he was acting as a king and David is writing about what it is to be God's king. What it is to be God's chosen, God's anointed. And the book of Acts shows a lot of those ways that that gets fulfilled. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. Luke is not mentioned anywhere in any of the Gospels. So wait a second. What do you, how, how does this work? So you have Matthew. Matthew is the tax collector. Remember, his, his original name was Levi, but he hid his original name and went by Matthew because that's Greek and he can function better in the Greek world with a Greek name. And he was a tax collector and Jesus called him. So he was raised Jewish and he at some point quit living the Jewish life and started living the Greek Roman life of being a tax collector. Jesus called him and then he was with Jesus. He quit being a tax collector and he followed Jesus. And when he wrote the Gospel of Matthew, he was writing it with a heavy Jewish accent because he was so Jewish and he just had all of this Jewish history in the Gospel of Matthew. Mark was a younger guy. He wrote it right after Jesus had done all this stuff. And so he was just action, 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 this and this. He didn't have a lot of time to think about the implications of it because he thought at any minute Jesus was going to knock on the door, the end of the world was going to happen, and it was all going to end. So he had to get that thing, get the word out. Not that he was writing it down, but he was reciting it and telling it over and over as fast as he could hearing a lot of it from Peter, getting commentary from Peter, and telling everybody. John wrote his gospel way after Luke may have already been dead when John wrote his gospel. And that's why a third of John's gospel is the last week of Jesus' life. Because John has had so much time to think about Wow, this is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus changed the world. This is the effect of Jesus on the world. I really want to focus on Jesus' death on the cross in his last week. Luke wrote the longest gospel. So Luke was the guy that wasn't there. He might not have been there for any of the things that happened in any of the gospels. Isn't that weird to think about? But... No offense to Matthew or Mark or John. Luke was probably the most intelligent and the smartest. And Luke, from other, other things that we have, Luke probably did more research into really figure out what all happened and talk to more people than the guys that were actually there. And he probably talked to the people that were actually there also as he wrote the Gospel of Luke. So you get the Gospel of Luke. It's the longest gospel. He gets to the end of the Gospel of Luke and Jesus ascends into heaven, takes his throne, and that's the end. But then you have the book of Acts, which is like the Gospel of Luke part 2. And he starts it. In the first book, O Theophilus, 
I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. This, this is just such a perfect opening sentence. The Gospel of Luke was what Jesus began. The book of Acts is what Jesus continued to do. He didn't end it. He didn't end it. The Gospel of Luke was only the beginning. <laughs> Think about that for a second. The Gospel of Luke was the introduction to the acts of the apostles, the activities of the people that follow God. The Gospel of Luke was just the introduction. Just the little part that they play at the start of the movie before the big title comes up. That was the Gospel of Luke. Now it's time for the movie. So he says, here's all that Jesus began to do and teach till the day he was taken up. He gave commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. I love it that the Holy Spirit makes an appearance in the second verse right off the bat. A lot of people have said, you've got the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this acts is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. It could be said that. It could be said that it's the the acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be as active in the book of Acts as Jesus was active in the Gospel of Luke. So, we're going to go to school on the Holy Spirit here for the next gazillion years. This is what the Holy Spirit did. He pre- and then Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is all the stuff that's in the end of John. For 40 days, Jesus showed up. One day he grilled fish and they all had grilled fish for breakfast on the beach. How awesome is Jesus? One day he just showed up, you know, while they're having a prayer meeting. He would um, show up on the road walking with people. He was just kind of all of a sudden he would be there and he would talk to them and encourage them. Then, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, John baptized you with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's talking to the same people that were at the Last Supper. Remember, the Last Supper was just a little bitty group. But now, though all those guys that were at the Last Supper, they abandoned Jesus when he was arrested. He was on the cross. Most of the, most of the apostles had left. John was within sight of Jesus and was close enough that he could hear Jesus talk. Jesus, John was close enough that Jesus could see John and see Mary, Jesus' mother, next to him, and say, hey, you two take care of each other. Like, wow, John was that close to the scene of this happening. Now he says, stay here, don't leave. They've grown to about 120 people. So from, from 12, then they had a minus one, which we'll talk about in a minute. And then they gained up to, they're, they're up to about 120 of them. And he says, just like John baptized you with water, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. 
So you've, you've got to immediately take, okay, really, really, really. How was John baptizing people? He was out in the outskirts. He was out in the, in the wilderness. And all through the Bible, when you are changing from your old life to your new life, you go out into the wilderness. When you're going from slavery and captivity and pain into freedom and joy in the promised land, you spend time in the wilderness. People would go out to John the Baptist in the wilderness. There's the Jordan River. They would go out to him in the water and they would get baptized all the way fully submerged and back up and everything was changed about them. Literally, they were soaking wet. And it sounds funny and it sounds dumb and it sounds obvious, but that being soaking wet for a little while is going to be a sign that I'm a different person now. I was, I was dry and now I'm soaking wet. And in the same symbolism of that, I've gone and I've changed from this person to that person. I've gone out to see John the Baptist. I want to leave my, my life behind and now I want to be like this. In the same way, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit is going to soak you. You are going to be a completely different person than you were before the Holy Spirit soaked you and drenched you and covered you. They don't know what that means. They don't know. They've never experienced the Holy Spirit. So when they came together, they asked him again, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Is this it? So the big thing they're looking for is that the Romans are going to be dead. They, They... These guys, and it's no fault of their own, and it's not against them or anything, but they saw the return of Jesus as a political thing. That all the political problems and the social problems we have will all be fixed. And he's going to do it by killing those daggum Romans. Anger, anger, anger. And Jesus is like, dudes, you need to just put the gun away. Chill out. That is not what we're doing here. Just like I'm the king, but not the king that you think I'm going to be. Calm it down. He said, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I love, this is just like Jesus at the, with the woman at the well. Remember how the woman at the well was like, what mountain should we worship on? Should we worship on this mountain or this mountain? You know, fit into my argument. And Jesus is like, true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. Let's bring it back to the heart thing. The apostles are like, is the kingdom of heaven here? Are we going to beat the Romans? And Jesus is like, oh, you're going to get power. The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And when you get power, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word witnesses is the same root word that we get the word martyr from. So it's not you're going to be my celebrities. You are going to be my witnesses. You're going to be testifying and saying what happened, and it won't always be fun. And you're going to be my martyrs in Jerusalem, where you are right now. 
in Judea, which is still cool. Judea is all right, right? Like Judea is kind of like the east side. It's a little weird, but it's still my town. Jerusalem, Judea, now Samaria. Okay. Jesus had taken them to Samaria before. Do you remember? James and John wanted to call down fire on it, light them all up, and burn them. Uh, They don't want to eat even off of a plate touched by a Samaritan. And every time I should say the word Samaritan, I should spit to clean my mouth out because I said that word. Jesus says to them, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You guys are going to go bigger than you've ever gone. It was common for a person in this, in this time, except for traveling to Jerusalem, to never go further than two miles from where they were born. So they would get born in their village. They would live in their village. They would go to Jerusalem three times a year for a pilgrimage feast. And they would go right back home. And Jesus is telling them, You guys are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They knew what that meant. They knew ends of the earth meant really weird people, really foreign, different languages, different countries, out of beyond even Roman rule. Wow. When he said that, That thing, this is, so when Jesus, in the Gospel of John, he's with the disciples and some Gentiles come. And it's the last week, it's Passover week. And these Gentiles come, these Greeks, and they say, we want to talk to Jesus. And one of the disciples goes to Jesus and they say, there are some Greeks here that want to talk to you. Jesus doesn't say, great, I've been expecting them. Hey guys, blah, 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 blah. He says, now is the hour for the Son of Man to be lifted up to be a light to the Gentiles. It was like that was a signal of fulfilling a prophecy to him when the Gentiles, as a, as a larger group than just an occasional Roman soldier, the Gentiles were now coming to learn about Jesus. He knew it was time for him to be lifted up, that this was the Passover that he was going to die. Same thing right here. You're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. And it's almost like he said the magic word. It's like that was the, uh, the secret word that when you say it, everybody screams. To the ends of the earth. When he said that, as they were looking at him, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. So somehow... There's some silly Jesus movie where Jesus says this and then he shrinks up into the air. And it's like micro Jesus flying and he's like stuck like this because it's cheap special effects. I wish I could like find that part in my brain and like dig that part out. So I never remember that because I remember it every time I read this. All through the Old Testament, God's glory shows up as a cloud. Even in the gospel, the moment of transfiguration, there's a cloud, right? So that's what happened here. Jesus is somehow lifted up, whether he was up on a hill, whether he's in midair, we don't know. And then there's a cloud, and that's the glory of God, the mist that guided them in the wilderness, the the pillar of fire, the pillar of, of cloud or smoke. 
the glory of God comes around him and he disappears. And then there's two men in white robes standing there. So if it wasn't weird enough that Jesus flew up into the air, because he's never done this. Every time he's come and gone, he's just disappeared or reappeared. And now all of a sudden he's being lifted up into the air. Cloud disappears, white robes. And they say, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They say he's going to come back in this same way. This is how he'll come back. But now he's gone. And it kind of puts a, puts a, a line of finale on it. Like all these times that Jesus has shown up at dinner, shown up in the locked room, shown up walking down the road, shown up, hey, I think that guy on the beach is Jesus. Now he has done something a little bit bigger where he's gone up and he's disappeared and there's two angels. And every time you see two angels, you got to think about the same thing. I hope, I hope I have drilled this and said this over and over again. The first time ever two angels side by side are mentioned in the Bible is the Ark of the Covenant. So here is Jesus. He has disappeared. And there you can see in the sky the Ark. You don't see the Ark of the Covenant as a box. You see two angels with their wings spread, probably touching because they're standing side by side. So they're standing there just like the Ark of the Covenant would be. And they're saying... Why are you standing here? This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. Everything He said was true. He's been taken into heaven and He's going to come back just like this. So, how's that for a send-off? Like, if you, have you ever thought, man, if some, I would just, my doubt, and I don't know if this is for real, but man, if I could just see Jesus, if I could just see a miracle, if I could just see clouds or lightning or an angel, I would believe that's fine. There's no sin in that. Jesus said, blessed are you that don't see and believe. You'll be really happy if you don't have to see things to believe in them when it comes to Jesus. The disciples still didn't quite get it, even though they saw two angels in the sky saying this. They returned to Jerusalem, though. That's good. They go to the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. This is where Jesus was praying the night of his passion. It's about journeys, Sabbath journeys away. They go there. They go up to the upper room where they stay. So they, they're like, I don't think he's coming back until like the way he's been coming back. I think we should go do something. So they go back to where they had the Last Supper. Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James, not that Judas, all of these were together. So they give a little roll call of who all is here. And with one accord, they were dividing, devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and all of his brothers. So Jesus' family has seen all of these events that happened. Remember, they were saying things to him like, anybody that wants to be famous should go to the feast, dude. You should go up to the feast to work some miracles. They didn't really believe in him. Now this has all happened and it's like, okay, now this, this is legit. Jesus is real. So they're there. Mary is there, which is good because John's taking care of her. There are probably other disciples taking care of her too. 
But the thing I want you to focus on is right at the beginning of verse 14. All of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. It's really wild how many times in the first five chapters of Acts, the point is they were all together with one accord, it says. They thought the same way. They were in agreement. Which is so exciting. Because this is a group that as long as they were with Jesus, most of the time when it mentioned the disciples, they were arguing about who was the best. We were, we were watching The Chosen. And if you haven't watched it yet, you should watch a bunch of episodes of it. But the uh, disciples were arguing. And I said, and it was kind of a blah episode, and it wasn't everybody's favorite episode. And um, I said, you know, if they're going to make an accurate movie about the Gospels, about half of the shows will just be filled with the disciples arguing with each other about who's the best. Because <laughs> that's how much they did it. If they're going to be true, it would be a terrible TV show. I'm glad they don't do that. But the disciples did that a lot. They spent a lot of their time doing that. And all of a sudden in the book of Acts, that doesn't happen anymore. They are of one accord. They, are, they have unity. They have agreement. And they're praying together. Almost every time it mentions that they had unity together and they were in agreement with each other, it mentions that they were praying together. And I think that is a critical thing. And I think we can learn a lot about that as we disagree with people, as we... I mean, there's no place on Facebook to post a let's pray together while we argue about this thing. Is there? Why is there so much arguing on Facebook? I think it's because people aren't praying with each other. They were in one accord. They were in unity. They were in agreement with each other and they were praying. So all of a sudden you realize, gosh, praying might actually be really important. It might be really important that we pray. There's an old evangelist. He said, what if, what if God didn't do anything except in answers to our prayers? Which puts a lot of burden on us and it's not exactly right. But, but what if, right? What if, it was all what if all of our strife, all of our struggling, all that was dependent on God answering our prayers and we're not even praying for it in the first place? Much less in agreement and so here they were. They were one with one accord, with unity, with, with agreement. They were praying together. What did Jesus say at the Last Supper? All men will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. The way you all love each other is your best evangelism. Is your best argument, your best apologetics is how you all get along. And is it any wonder the church has no power in the world today? Here they were. So watch for that throughout the book of Acts. How much they're in unity together. How much they are praying together and praying with one another. And that all those two things go together. And then all of a sudden, a miracle. A miracle and a work of power happens. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. There's 120 of them. He stands up. He says, brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled. And I'm just going to skip through this real quick. He basically 
explains that what Judas did and how Judas died was fulfilling the Old Testament. He's not saying anywhere in here, we're going to start a new religion and we're going to leave these Jews behind and we're going to do our new thing. He is saying everything that the Old Testament said has been leading up to this and this is the continuation and the, 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 the best fulfillment of it. This is everything happening like it said. And so he reads all of that into the death of Judas. They tell the backstory of how Judas died. And then they say, we need to replace Judas. Because there's 12 of us. Remember the 12 disciples? Or the 12 apostles? Represented the 12 tribes. Not one to one. But Jesus said, you're going to judge the 12 tribes. And there's 12 of you. And so Peter, seeing this as a continuation of the Old Testament, says there's got to be 12 of us. We need to have 12. The other cool thing is, remember the Holy Spirit has not come yet. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you get the Holy Spirit, until you get power. And so without the Holy Spirit, they use reason. And they reason, we should replace them. The guy we should replace Judas should be somebody that's been here from the beginning. Somebody that's been around. Okay, okay, that makes sense. That's good. It needs to be somebody that's good. A good man. Been here from the baptism of John till Jesus was taken up. Oh yeah, that's good. That's good. So they're using their wisdom. They bring forth two guys. Joseph Barsabbas and Matthias. And then they pray. Oh Lord, you know the hearts of all. Show us which one of these two men you have chosen to take the place in this ministry. Show us who you have chosen to be the replacement 12. And then they rolled dice. They cast lots to figure out who it would be. And remember, we did this all through 1 Samuel. The Urim and the Thurim, the magic ephod of power that God would use to speak and God would really speak. They don't know about the Holy Spirit. They don't. All they know about is prophets. And they know none of them are prophets. And so it's not bad what they did. It's, I, it's, Luke doesn't put it in a bad light. Um, it's not considered evil. And so they, they use their reason to pick two guys, they pray that God would guide them, and they basically flip a coin, and they pick Matthias. And they cast lots for them, the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. You'll never hear about Matthias again. (laughs) So, it's funny, Peter is thinking this is a continuation and we need to keep it Jewish. This is going to happen with Peter all the way through till the last you ever hear of him. He's thinking that we got to keep it Jewish, and so he's keeping it Jewish by keeping a little bit of the old, and it's not frowned upon. It's not bad. We're going to stop right there. If you want to, sit down and read through the whole book of Acts. It'll take you a couple hours. It's like an action movie. It's like a spy thriller. It's um, a history book. It's all wrapped up in one, and it's great. There's going to be 24 speeches in the book of Acts. 24, I don't want to call them sermons because they're not really sermons. Um, and we just got one of them, which was Peter standing up and saying we need to replace 
we need to replace Judas. And then the other thing we're going to watch for all through this is how they were unified, they prayed together in that unity, and then God worked a miracle. And how those things all all traveled together. And nowhere in here does it say, and then they were done and God didn't act that way anymore. So as far as we know, Jesus is still, and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, He is still acting the same way today as we see in the book of Acts. And I think that will be a critical way to the way we read it all the way through too. Alright, let's pray. Lord, you are holy and awesome. And we praise you that you are building a kingdom. That you're building a kingdom even today. That you built it with this crew of 120. And that you'll, you, you're just, you've been going ever since. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we seek out what you're doing and what your Holy Spirit is doing. That you would teach us about baptism of the Holy Spirit. That you would teach us about praying in unity with one accord. And that you would show us miracles. Miracles of decisions. Miracles of healing. Miracles of your power working on earth still. We praise you, God. You are so worthy of it all. Amen. All right.